Hello, KC. So we just had an amazing conversation with my favorites. I feel like I say that often on the podcast. You do. I do. But this was a super engaging conversation. Yes. And yeah, we talk about this question. What does it mean to be American? What does being American mean to you? And our guest today, you all were fast friends. Yes. Yes. Nyvon Shell Bramble, who is one of my students this semester. She's a transfer student. She is a junior. She's majoring in computer science. And she's in my family stories class, which is effectively a comics making class. So it's the one where she's not in front of a computer screen doing, I don't even know what computer science folks do, but the computer Maybe coding, I don't coding, know. That's what it app? Is. I don't know. They're doing something. Yes. And, you know, we have had a lot of conversations about family, about many things. And I just immediately thought, you know what? She is a perfect person to have this conversation on our podcast. I knew right away. And it was. Mm. Yes. Off mic, we had many aha moments. On the mic, many aha moments. I think we unpacked this question really well. Yes. And another thing. So we have a new format we're trying out this week. We won't do it every week. But I have been cruising the hallways and the sidewalks and the classrooms. Cruising these southern streets. That's right. Asking folks to come on the mic and talk about this question that we're dealing with today. What does it mean to be American? And so you'll hear from 12 different people today, in addition to Nyvon Shell and me and Jamil always. So we're hearing more perspectives than we usually do. And I absolutely love it. As you see, Casey is getting fancy on the podcast. I am getting fancy. Uh, the next season is going to be fantastic. Uh-oh. Just saying. Don't out there. <laughs> well, we won't keep you any longer. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome to Real Talk. Real Talk is about real conversations with real people regarding diversity and higher education. I am your co-host, Jamil Harp, a student activist. And I'm Casey Counselor, a professor in the Communication, Media, and Screen Studies Department at Southern Connecticut State University. All right, Jamil, let's go. Casey, I am super excited about today's conversation. I've been waiting all season. All season? To have this discussion on what does it mean to be American? I was having this conversation with a really good friend of mine talking about what does it mean to be American? What does it mean to be a patriot? I know that language has been used a lot in the media. You know, people describing themselves as patriots, describing themselves as American. What does the American experience? What does all this mean? And I don't believe there's a right or wrong answer to this, mm-hmm. but I've been so curious to hear everybody else's thoughts on what does it mean to be American? Yeah, and certainly we're having a reckoning right now, one of many reckonings that we've had in the United States about this question, what does it mean to be American? And with us for this conversation is Nyvon Shell. So welcome to The Real Talk. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So I guess we should start with, I mean, well, let me say this first. I talked to dozens of people this week about this question, what does it mean to be American? And from an 18-year-old college student to a grandmother in her 60s, PhDs, no college degree yet, everybody, no matter what, their identity, their age, or anything else, everyone said that this was a hard question to answer. And in part, that's what makes it a good question. It's hard to answer. There's not, certainly like you said, Jamila, there's not one answer. You can't wear it out. And it should be something that we're thinking about, talking about often. But Naivon Shah, like to you, what does that mean to be American? Well, for me, I'm second generation. So my definition has shifted But for me, it means being able to have choice, being able to have the luxury to say no. I think generations before me have built enough wealth, to be honest, and enough experience so that I have the safety net of being able to say no and going after what I want, being able to create a career for myself that I want on my own time. So when you say the freedom to say no... To say no to what? What does that mean to you? So for me, I had to say no to chasing the American dream and let that go for my own mental health and my own sanity. So I had to say no to working so hard because it was already done in the past. And I'm seeing that 
it eroded the people around me. So now I have the luxury to say no to that and redefine what it means for me. Hmm. And, you know, certainly the American dream, it haunts a lot of us, I would say, um, and certainly is a powerful draw for immigrants coming to the U.S. And often people come to the U.S. and find that this dream that they've been sold or even, you know, folks born in the U.S., this idea of upward mobility, mm-hmm. pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Anybody can make it. Which is one of my least favorite quotes of all times. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Uh, I, I cringe when I hear that quote. Mm-hmm. Why? It's not easy uplifting yourself out of poverty. That's not really something that's feasible to tell somebody that's poor mm-hmm. to say, you know, just get up and work harder. People in poverty do work hard. People do work two, three jobs and still can't lift themselves out of poverty. We know education is one of the easiest ways to get someone out of poverty, but that's just not accessible to most people. Now, lots of people don't have the privilege or time to attend college, to attend and finish high school. Mm -hmm. Lots of people in the communities I grew up didn't have the time, space, or capacity to accomplish those things. So when I hear the rhetoric of, you know, people pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you know, they're poor, they're lazy just because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a simple generalization that's just not true in reality. Right. And, you know, statistically, most people don't make that, you know, like you stay in the socioeconomic status in which you were born. It's actually statistically quite unlikely that you're going to to move up, but there's still this promise. And then there's a sense, I think this is what you're getting at, Naima Michelle, that that if you aren't achieving that, then there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. or that you're a failure. And of course you can. And it's funny that you even talk about this because you're one of the most ambitious students that I've met at this university, if not the most ambitious. I think so. And you had to give yourself freedom to create your own path. And also the ambition was slowly killing me. <laughs> there's that aspect too. For my own mental health, I was working so hard and putting so much into my education and my internships and my actual job and juggling so many things. And I realized I just couldn't keep it up anymore. That's why I had to let it go because it felt like it was something I was never going to realistically attain within even I learned this this past semester, (laughs) you know, but it's, it's also the element of why I got into STEM. Hmm. I got into STEM to have the American dream and I realized so many people, like I would be doing it by myself. Like I'm not seeing a lot of people who look like me or even act like me within STEM. Hmm. So sure. it's, it's pretty lonely. So I was like, well, I, I guess I have to let this go. When I think about the idea of what the American dream is, and maybe we should talk more about what does that mean, the American dream. Mm-hmm. I think about, you know, a house in the suburbs, maybe in a cul-de-sac with a nice front and backyard, white picket fence, maybe a pair of golden retrievers. Oh, yes. Two kids, you know, working a corporate job, commuting to work, coming home, having maybe some apple pie, mm. watching football on the weekends. That's what I think about when I hear the American sure, dream. Sure, sure. And that's not something I aspire to at all. Right. For me to add to that, it is the for me, the American dream is also a feeling mm-hmm. being able to not worry about money and day to day and living paycheck to paycheck. For me, that's the American dream is no longer having to have that weight on your shoulders. That's major for me. Which is interesting because we know so many Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Oh, yes. You know, so it's interesting. Well, actually, why don't we play the first set of clips? Oh, yeah. So we're going to hear the first set of clips. There are three audio clips in this in this segment from folks, and, and then they'll add to our conversation. We'll come back and talk about these. All right, here we go. My name is Cameron, and what does it mean to be American? I think that's a really funny question because I feel like a lot of people have a lot of different definitions and meanings. But I think it's exercising your rights and, you know, being an American doesn't necessarily mean you are like a number in the system and like fall in line and have to listen to all the rules and laws because sometimes rules and laws are wrong. There's been centuries of protests and people fighting back against the government because it's about being for the people. So I think being American is just 
having, I guess, good values and being a good person and like fighting for your rights as well as the person next to you. I think that's super, super important, especially when being American is a nationality. So when you share that with a bunch of other people, it's kind of like having a sense of community and unity with each other. I mean, that's the ideal hope. That's what we all kind of want, but we don't always get that. But yeah. My name is Nakai Brown and to be American is interesting because we're living in a world where America is divided into two American Americas. Uh, you have the privileged and not privileged, the fair, and not fair. You have the part of America when you're supposed to hold a status of being happy and living the dream. In reality, there's the other side of America where poverty exists, the lack of education, the lack of resources, and the lack of opportunity, although America is supposed to be the place of freedom and opportunity. My name is Shana Smith. What does it mean to be an American? I feel like being an American is not what we were taught when we were younger. It's not the fair tales of being free and being a patriot. I feel as though we learn as we get older that being an American comes with hardships and struggles. And as an African-American woman, my experience has been struggle. Yeah, those are some good clips. I often do think about this concept of two Americas. And, you know, I do my family history. You know, my father's side of the family have been here for as long as America has been here, you know, working on this land and building America to what it is today. You know, whether that may have been in bondage and afterwards contributing to our society and making America the empire and the world power we are. I think about that. I also think about my family that emigrated from Latin America and emigrated from Puerto Rico and what that experience was like. And there is this duality happening in America where, you know, there's so many Americans feeling disenfranchised and Americans feeling like they're fighting for something that they're losing. And one thing that I think has been consistent throughout American histories, throughout generations of our families, whether they were born here or not, this idea to rebel, regardless of what you're rebelling against, Mm -hmm. whether you're rebelling for social progress or you're rebelling to keep American traditions the same, you know, both political parties in their mind, when they're out there doing social, you know, protest and they're doing activism or they're out there protesting for whatever cause they feel in their heart is right, they feel like they're doing so for the heart of America. Mm. They feel like they're doing so for the betterment of their children, mm. whether people agree with their cause or not. And I think that's what it means to truly be American is to participate in that civic process of rebellion, of speaking out openly mm. and Going against, you know, whatever direction we may be going throughout American history, we have always been at war with ourselves, with other nations, you know, at wars of what America should stand for. And I think just that process alone, that conflict, that constant conflict is a American idea. And rebelling. And you're right. You know, I hadn't thought about it in that particular way, but fighting for the soul of America. I mean, the stakes are often like, like, who are we? I mean, this is the question we're taking up today, right? Yeah. And there's a, a healthy streak in many f- Americans that is don't tell me what to do. Like a real healthy streak, which we've seen around COVID certainly. And it's been tested during COVID. I think a lot of people, I think they didn't realize how much they appreciated their freedom Mm. until they felt like it was taken away from them. And I think the biggest thing I was talking to a friend of mine and he was saying the hardest thing during the pandemic is I'm American, I'm free, but I can't leave my house and be around my family. Mm. And that's a value that I hold so dear to my heart and, and who I am and even his personality. And I think freedom has now evolved post COVID So I'm curious to see how that idea is going to change. It has changed. At least for me, it's changed a lot. And yeah, we're going to hear from a lot of folks today who are talking about freedom in different ways. And also like always like this fear of loss or like that it could be taken away. And certainly that's true, right? Like I remember being in college and I had a professor who was like, just because women have the right to vote now doesn't mean that will always be true. And I was like... (laughs) Excuse me? Whoa. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like progress is forward. 
And now we see with a lot of legislation coming out, we know that that's not true. But that, that was sort of a mind blowing moment for me. That's like, okay, some of our hard fought rights, those we have to continue to fight for. But then there are ways that people, you know, take that too far. I think Americans have an interesting perspective of how they view freedom, mm. how we view freedom. You know, we talk about it not like it's on a spectrum. I view freedom like it's on a spectrum, like, you know, we are free to do X, Y, and Z things, but there's limitations, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think about post 9-11. We give up, you know, this a little bit of freedom for a sense of security. Some folks may argue it's giving up too much freedom. COVID happens, a pandemic. We give up again more freedom for this sense of security. You know, it's it's not you can walk around and do whatever you want. Right. There's tons of laws. It changes state by state. Of course. Our environments are completely different. So the living in Connecticut is completely different from living in the rural part of Kentucky. Oh, yeah. And freedom yes. would look differently mm-hmm. in those two different parts. But Americans talk about freedom like it's unified and it looks right. the same. And you have all this freedom to do all the things you want. False. Yes. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, that's just not accurate. And also other places do have freedom as well. Like we talk about it almost like we're unique in that mm-hmm. concept. Well, let me ask you this. So, you know, Nakaya was bringing up this idea of two Americas and Shay was talking about, you know, uh, to me, the experience of being American has been the experience of struggle. And I'll say that, you know, I also, um, in a class, I had students write an answer to this question. One of them was like, one of my students said, you know, as a black woman, I feel like people don't even really see me as fully American. So yes. am I, yes. you know? And so I'll say, you know, as someone who I'm a white person, I appear to be a cisgender man. And I'll tell you that no one, people have yelled many things anti-gay stuff at me, anti-trans homophobic things out their car windows and that kind of stuff. Not once has anyone ever said to me, go back to your country, because the assumption is that I'm living that American dream, Jamel, that you're talking about. I don't have golden retrievers, but, but really it's like, I am, I look like what quote unquote America, the stereotype of what an American is. And that is not the case. Like, or I would say, what is your experience? Like a lot of folks are like, because of my skin color, my religion, my race, my, you name it. I feel like I'm always sort of having to assert my, or perform or insist on my Americanism that people don't necessarily see me that way. Well, for me, becoming more American was also a grieving process. Hmm. My family is, I'm, so I'm black and Hispanic. I'm Venezuelan and Puerto Rican as well. So for my family, it was, letting go of the way we dress. And for me, how that translates the way we dress, where we live, things like that, but also language. Mm. And for example, I speak Spanish completely fluently. My sister doesn't. She speaks it halfway. And we also go to school all in English. All my friends are are American and English. And also food. Mm. It was just so many deaths that... I faced and becoming more and more American. So the concept of assimilation, becoming closer to whiteness, becoming more white, it's been a death. And I spoke to, like I spoke to my grandfather about that and he had to let go of, so he's Hispanic, but he looks completely black. He's dark skin. And he had to let go of his accent Hmm. so he could be taken more seriously. I spoke uh, two languages growing up and I, learned how to not speak with an accent so I can get more opportunities for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with my Latino family coming to Connecticut, you know, a majority white state and my family being, you know, white passing or white assuming for them to stop speaking Spanish and to be absorbed into whiteness. I could imagine how that may be. I mean, I felt like a good idea to do, mm-hmm. you know, to not want to face discrimination for you and your children. It is a good idea. I also, as someone who is not first generation here, I think about the idea of rejecting being American, rejecting the ideas of assimilating. Yes. To fully embrace your culture here. Yes. I find to be important, especially for us that weren't born in our home places. But also in the same breath where we have folks that are becoming, you know, Americanized, we have my uncle 
who was the first Puerto Rican to attend Notre Dame High School. Mm. And so we have like accomplishments, but we also have Americanizing. So I think folks took it in different breaths and different strokes. I also think about this idea back to freedom. We have this concept of we're all free, but we have mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. So who is free here? Who's truly free as an American? Is some of us free and not all of us? You know, is some of us, you know, becoming Americanized by choice or by force? You know, what does that really look like in practice? Right. That's a great point. Becoming American by choice or by or by force. And who I mean, I just as a white guy, I will tell you that people trust that I'm a quote unquote good citizen who's doing the right thing everywhere from a traffic stop to like anything else. That is the assumption. And that is not an assumption that is enjoyed, especially by people who don't have light skin. Yeah. I often don't think about my identity as purely American. Mm -hmm. I often think about my identity as being a black American. Yes. And the differences there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've moved to West Haven and I recall, you know, when Black Lives Matter was happening, um, I used to go on these long walks by the beach and, you know, it was very scenic and it's beautiful, beautiful, but feeling the need to wear my Southern t-shirts. Interesting. Yeah. Why is that? Because it was right when the runner got killed. Ahmaud Arbery. Yeah. And it really made me nervous. Of course. And subconsciously, I felt like if I had my college t-shirts on, I would seem less threatening. Yep. From protection. Yeah. And that's what I think about when I think about what it does it mean to be a black American. You know, like those kind of thoughts and you turn on the TV and there's people that look like you constantly being killed. What kind of fear does that bring into black households? Mm -hmm. What does that tell you about your place in this country? But I also think about the complete opposite. I think about black liberation. I Mm -hmm. think about black progress and celebration. Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, us sustaining our cultures, our food, our practices, making accomplishments, building and rebuilding communities after they crumble, being the backbone of communities. So I think about these two things but like intertwined, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I want to fold a few more folks into this conversation. And so this, in this next uh, series of clips, you're going to hear from four different people. The first person is Iman Jabarkale. She's the president of the Muslim Student Association um, at SCSU. And this is her, it's a very short speech from International Peace Day earlier this fall. So you'll hear some outside noise. You'll hear at the very end a bus is going by. But she's going first, and then you'll hear from a few other people on this question, what does it mean to be American? Hello and good afternoon, everyone. I want to start off by seeing how weird it feels to be speaking in front of all of you today. Because for the past two years, my norms have consisted of laying in bed with my hoodie and sweatpants on, with a bag of chips in my hands as I watch lectures and attend very important meetings. But lucky for all of you today, I'm appropriately dressed and have a short speech prepared. I would like to thank Miss Diane for this opportunity to speak in front of all of you on National Peace Day. This day is so important as the world we live in consists of more hatred and violence than peace. And so when I was invited to speak today, I knew what I was gonna talk about. When I think of peace, the first thing that comes to mind is the greeting we have in Islam. Whether it be family or a stranger, Muslims greet each other by saying, Assalamu alaikum, meaning peace be upon you. Many think it means hi, hello, in which, to be honest, I thought so as well for many years. But it means so much more to wish peace upon a loved one or a person walking in the streets. So if you hear this phrase being said on campus or out in your day, It's not some code word, but a beautiful, peaceful greeting. Now, when people hear the word Muslim, they don't think peaceful, and I understand why, as news outlets and social media portray us negatively. The root word of Islam is slim, which means making peace. And our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, would remind us to be kind and choose peace over violence. He stated, do you know what is better than charity, fasting, and prayer? He said, it is keeping peace and good relations among people. And so I end my speech here with a little supplication. 
اللهم انت السلام ومنك السلام تباركت في ذا الجلال والاكرام meaning oh allah you're the source of peace and from you comes peace exalted you are O oh lord of majesty and honor i hope you leave here today implementing peace in your everyday activities and the words of prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon him thank you all for listening Okay, so I'm Gobahar Erkman, and the question, what does it mean to be American? I think, I guess the biggest thing I could say about that is, as an American, you really have to recognize that the country you live in is more of a mosaic of cultures that should appreciate everyone's differences and kind of respect those different cultures, learn about them, rather than aiming to create a melting pot that really just erases those cultures and tries to make one single quote-unquote right culture, which necessarily isn't even a thing. But yeah, I think the main idea is to really just take the time to learn about other people, whether that's their culture, where they come from, how they got here, uh, what they plan to do here, a mosaic rather than a melting pot. My name is Sidi Suresh. And what sets me apart from my Indian family is the fact that I am a U.S. passport holder. And with this passport, a world of opportunities have opened in front of me. This includes being able to attend high school for free, being able to go to college and receiving federal aid, and being able to work without having to worry about visas. This is what it means to be American to me. Hello, my name is Kyle Augustine, and what does it mean to be American to me? My parents came from Trinidad in 1993, um, and I was born in 94, so I'm the only American citizen in my family. So for me, it means achieving the dreams that they set aside for me. They wanted me to have a bright future, and I'm the first in my family to graduate, or my immediate family to graduate. What it means is that I'm getting opportunities that they couldn't um, because they left Trinidad. They didn't go to college. I was the first. So it meant to just, you know, have the opportunities I didn't have and to make an impact for my future family. So that's what it means to me. I feel like this is an emotional question, too. It is. Yeah, it is. And you could hear that in a couple of folks who, especially if you're the only U.S. citizen in your family, there's the pressure, but there's also the pride in that. And the real appreciation for what it means, the kind of access you have to services, to all kinds of things, being a U.S. passport holder Mm -hmm. and a citizen. I mean, there are a lot of rights that come along with that. And people, especially who have fought hard for that right, really appreciate it in ways that those of us, like myself included, I've, I've come from a long line of U.S. citizens that is something that I take have taken for granted. Free high school, federal aid, ease, a lot of ease in traveling internationally. So for me, that's what I meant when I said it was a luxury to say no, because I'm benefiting from the generational work my family did. I really wanted to ask you guys, what is the right culture? One of the voices I heard said, Instead of uh, creating a melting pot, creating the right culture. What is what does that mean? I've never heard that. I think they meant like um, staying in your own culture. So like instead yes. of like the idea of a melting pot is like mixing and integrating cultures. Yes. yes. And mm-hmm. almost like you're creating a new one, um, mm-hmm. which I suppose does happen. But like keeping your own individual culture alive in the U.S. instead of looking at every like a, a mosaic, having little pieces of everything, mm-hmm. making up one picture instead of like. A whole new one, I suppose. Instead of having to assimilate and and like you're talking about the deaths of having to leave in order to live the quote unquote American dream or be successful to not have to leave behind your language, your culture, all the parts that make you who you are, but to stay distinct. And that I, I really wanted us to listen to Iman's speech because, I mean, think about all the negative stereotypes perpetuated by the media, perpetuated in all kinds of circles about Muslims and certainly not associating Muslims with peace. And I think that she just so she holds those, the, you know, calls that stereotype out. And I think, frankly, that speech is fundamentally American. 
Yes. yes. I think about, you know, Americans talk about religious freedom all the time. Yes. But they're not talking about all religions. Mm. Many times people say that they're not, they're speaking of their own or the, or, or the majority religion. They're not speaking about every religion. And I feel like those of us that are marginalized can really feel for other folks, you know, can feel that pain of not being fully embraced by your community, being almost outcasted and othered and blamed. Because it seems like throughout American history, we always needed somebody, some group to blame. The scapegoat. Yeah, for the mishappenings of our structure, of our society. And it's not something I don't think most Americans critically think about on an everyday basis. But I suppose it goes back to the idea of freedom for who? This idea of, is all Americans truly free? Or are there inequities there that stop us from all truly being able to be on the same playing field? Mm -hmm. And I think about, I was questioning this for myself, like, well, I am American. I feel the most American when I travel internationally. Mm -hmm. I was, I studied abroad with, uh, I went to Bermuda with UAP. So shout to UAP. And that's probably where I felt the most American. I was running, not running, you know, I was walking to the ferry. Mm-hmm. But, you know, right. here in the tri-state area, we move quick. We got places to go. Traffic, yes. you know, we, we move a little different around here. Yeah, people are speedy. We're speedy. Maybe yeah, a little, newer. Maybe a little yeah. rude. A little rude. A little rude. A little direct. Yeah, we're very direct because, you know, time. I appreciate that. Yeah. Of the essence. <laughs> I'm walking and this older man sitting on a crate by the ferry. He's like, young man, young man, young man, slow down. Why are you running? Hmm. You're in Bermuda now. Take things slow. And I have never felt more American <laughs> than in that moment. Yes. Yeah. Do you carry that with you? Sometimes. The idea of moving slow? Yeah. Or are you forced to move fast? I, I like naturally I'm forced to move, fast. move fast. Well, I think it's because I grew up here. I naturally move quick. It kind of came with the culture. Mm-hmm. But I did, never really felt the difference of being American until like I leave America. Then I start feeling American. Well, that makes sense. It's sort of like when you're a kid and then you know, you, like you grow up like at, in your, in your own house and your own family. And then you go over to somebody, your friend's house and you're like, Oh, all families don't do the same thing that mine does. Like you recognize the, what's unique about your own mm-hmm. once you leave that context. So yeah, one, one piece of being American is that like grind culture, which means, you know, time is money. You got to hustle all the time. And what a perfect example. I hadn't thought about that, but absolutely. Also, when I'm thinking about what does it mean to be American for myself, Mm -hmm. I'm not the type to hang an American flag outside my house. That can be something we can unpack in a little bit because I have some thoughts on that. But I think about, you know, what I'm doing every day is American because I am. So, you know, me doing my civic duty voting, I think about as a really big piece about being American is going to the polls Absolutely. and being politically active. We just had election day on your birthday. I'm just going to say happy yes. birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think about my process of rebellion, mm. right? What does that look like for my generation and how am I contributing to that? And how am I trying to push forward for what I believe to be a better America? And then I think about growing up in intergenerational household. Yes. Me. I know lots of folks, when they think about being American, they think about a nuclear family, like a mom, a dad, and like a couple siblings. Mm-hmm. But I have grown up my entire life in a, in a Dracial household, you know, a mom, a dad, a grandparent, maybe an uncle, a cousin. And for me, that's truly American. Like growing up around family and a household with multi-generations and learning from that and growing from that and a family supporting each other, especially in times of need. I think about being something really American. And more and more families are that way. But it's not a part of the American dream you sketched out for us at the beginning of this episode, which is a separate nuclear family that's, you know, a man, a woman, Mm -hmm. a couple kids, et cetera, but not intergenerational. And it's not the reality for so many people. And especially now, like we have a lot of people moving back in with their parents, even if they're ideal was the American dream, life got in the way. It's AKA much more difficult and not even desirable necessarily. And we see a lot more intergenerational households than you live in one. I do, I love it. I live with my grandparents and my mom and my sister. 
And when my um, uncle and aunt were in college, they lived with us. We're, we're a big believer in living with the family while in college. Very anti-American. So no one in my family. <laughs> I agree with the same thing. Yes. Yeah. No one in my family has had a traditional college experience and I'm a commuter as well. Traditional. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So we're, we're very against that. Yes, it's the money aspect, but more so it's a way of, again, keeping the culture alive as long as we can. Mm -hmm. What's the rush to leave? What's the rush to go? And usually once my family settled with their careers or married, that's when they kind of do an exodus. But I, I think of how I grew up compared to my siblings. I mean, compared to um, my friends. And I hear about them going to their grandmother's house and staying for the weekend. And I'm so grateful that I was able to have all the stories, have all the recipes. And that's what makes me Latin American or mm -hmm. Afro Latina American because I'm able to still collect everything from them. And I, I still live with them and they still, my grandparents are retired now. And I'm, I'm very, very, even though I'm not able to visit Venezuela um, and have been in Puerto Rico in a little bit, I'm still very connected and to that. And that's the only way I know how to connect to my culture because mm -hmm. everything else is trying to take it away from me. Right. And, you know, my, my partner has often said, like when she went to college uh, at a big state university in Illinois, how unnatural it felt to her to be only with people in your age group, like tens of thousands of people between 18 and 22. And just how, you know, that, that is not like sort of a healthy kind of society when you're missing that intergenerational component, but that, you know, the, what we call like a non-traditional student is someone who's over 22 and we say that like commuting is not the traditional way of being a college student. We want you to come and, and live here and be part of this community. But this, but that is a really specific thing. I think it'd be really different actually, if we had multiple generations who were living on college campuses, mm. that, that would be interesting to me. It would be interesting. Yeah, I've done both. I've, I've obviously lived on campus. I was an RA for quite a few years, and then I commuted in my last semester. I hated commuting. I did. I love it. I love coming I home to my commute. grandma's cooking. Mm. Oh, no, I like that like I, I, coming I, I home can't aspect. deal with. I couldn't do with the commute. Like, <laughs> no, I wake up 10 minutes before class from Chase Hall to Engelman is a exactly, I believe, seven-minute walk. Mm -hmm. I could wake up late. The, it was a whole But there's nothing like waking up to my grandma's cooking and the salsa playing in the morning. Mm. I I love that, and and I would I would miss that. That's why I'm trying to hold on to it as long as I can. Right, it's a grounding in who you are. Yeah, it's so mm. foundational to who I am. I also found living on campus. We brought that there. We brought that to our residence halls. But is it authentic? It is for some of us. It is. It was. I miss the feeling of belonging and the sense of connection to the campus, not living on campus. I felt very disconnected. Like I didn't know what was going on and what events was happening. When you live on campus, you're, you're there 24 seven. So you feel super connected. Right. Around. And there's a way that you all as RAs create a home space yeah. on campus and for, you know, because a lot of folks come from homes that they would, that they don't really have a, a place to stay that is as loving and, and caring mm -hmm. as the one that you're coming from that much. So they're coming to a home space on campus that is much more loving and caring. And yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And cause that's, that's a, that's a big thing to say that I was a RA. So like, I didn't have the experience. I had the experience my first year and a half of being just a regular resident, mm -hmm. but being a RA is a much bigger experience because you're creating the environment. Yeah. Like you're creating the tone for your floor, the culture, how it feels, the music that's playing in the hallways, how active people are talking and what they're talking about. Residents are looking to you for guidance. So you're kind of creating the space that you want to be in. So that's a really good point. So I want to hear from a couple more people who are talking specifically about, about freedom. And the thing is that all of these folks come from this little you know, this particular week when I'm talking to people on our particular campus in the very small state of Connecticut and with a wide diversity of things to say. So let's hear from these two folks. My name is Maribel. What does it mean to be American? To me, that question is very loaded. As a Puerto Rican, 
Um, yes, I was born and raised here in Connecticut, but Puerto Ricans were not born as Americans, right? It's maybe even, it was a, like a hundred plus years or so that we gained the rights of citizenship. But with that was blood, sweat, tears, lots of injustices. So when you ask, what does it mean to be American? That's what I immediately think about. But then I know that as an American, we do have civil liberties, right? We have rights, we have access, healthcare, all of those things, though they are not equally distributed, do have all of that. So that's what I think about when I think about what does it mean to be American. My name is Patrick Ballard, and what does it mean to be an American? I would say what it means to be an American is to be willing to speak out and be willing to let your voice be heard and to share things that you don't like about what's going on in your area, country, however you want to say it. You know, we have many things in this great country that you have the ability to protest, you have the ability to email your representatives in Congress and all that. And I know in some countries they don't have that privilege and the ability to do that. So I would definitely say to be an American is to express your frustrations and to make change. It is. It's a complex question. Because where there's suffering, there's joy. Right. Do you hear how everyone's like, who? <laughs> that the question makes you go, go, oh, let me go unpack this. Yeah. It's a hard question. And I'm like, you only have one minute. Yeah. You know, in America, we do this thing where we try to sweep our history and our tragedies yes. under the rug. It creates resentment. Yes. It creates mistrust. Yep. You know, anger, anger, frustration, <laughs> sadness, not allowing communities to mourn. Mm -hmm. Right. And then trying to pretend as if these things didn't have ripple effects for generations, that we don't feel these tensions. It's like gaslighting. It is gaslighting. Yeah. Um, and throughout the country, a lot of people believe that we should not teach right. about these events, about these stories of what happened to generations of Americans. You know, it's going to create hate. It's going to create animosity. It's already there, though. Already there. Mm -hmm. But truly, it creates a space of healing. Yeah. And we're able to really look at the wrongdoings that our country has done because there's a long list of them and really start to say to these communities, hey, this is what we have done and this is what we should do moving forward. I think America is at the cusp of having that true conversation finally. Instead of just having the conversations in my kitchen at family gatherings, it would be nice. Yeah, I'm surprised that there is a shift of that not happening in schools anymore. I think it needs to continue to happen in schools. Yeah. So that the mass can hear about it. We have a lot. Not just minority, minorities. I mean, we haven't fundamentally reconciled with, you know, America's original sins. You know, yeah. we're this country of liberty, justice, freedom for all, yet founded on chattel slavery, 400 years of chattel slavery and indigenous genocide. And we can't sweep that part away because we truly have never dealt with it. In reconstruction, we haven't dealt with it. It's still, it will be there as long as we, you know, people will try to delay that, that real healing process, but it's, it's there and it has to be done. There's no getting past it. This is the work for us to do now. I think because so many of us don't view our country as united one, you know, there's 50 states of us. I never have. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. many of us not even united with our neighbors. Sure. Never along other states and beliefs across the country. We could start there. Right. I think people truly believe if I start giving freedoms to other groups of people, I lose something myself. Mm. And I face that feeling, that scaredness. If I acknowledge the mishappenings, if I acknowledge the racism, if I acknowledge the misogyny, if, I'm if I acknowledge all these things, what is that saying about myself? Right. What am I losing? Am I losing privileges? Like, that's a lot to grapple with, for, I also, think, for a lot of Americans. Yeah. Also, what role did I play in it? Yes. Yeah. And the guilt. And I'd rather just close my eyes and not hear about it, not think about it, and continue to enjoy and just keep on living. I, I don't want to go there because I might have played a direct role, but I do in some way benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to see that. And let's be honest here. 
people act like Jim Crow was 400 years ago. Yep. Our grandparents experienced Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. Your yeah. grandparents could have been standing outside protesting against integration. Could have been spitting on black children. Let's be really honest here. Sure. Those people are alive. I always wonder, did they ever unpack that? Mm-hmm. How do you have a conversation where we're going from living in that society to today? How do you unpack that? How do you transition from that? Yep. Large groups of people, what happens to that? And how do we not speak of this? Right. And there are a lot of folks, you know, who have swept things under the rug who are like, we are just not going there. You know, that's not me. I'm proud of my country. And, you know, we stand for freedom and justice and all of the ideals, the dream and our to say that we're not capable of, of having both those ideals and saying that this is a really imperfect place and that it's okay to acknowledge, like, as in we have to acknowledge these harms. It's for the health of America. It's like, you know, you have a car. You know, I love the car. You know, I love this car. It's a gorgeous car. It's a brand new car, which is hilarious because I don't drive. Very. But, um, I know I'm laughing at you. Yeah. Right now. I have this beautiful car. Imaginary. You will. I will one day. You know. That's the dream. That's the dream, right? But I don't get an oil change. I don't get an oil change. My check engine light on. This car is going to fail on me. Our America's check engine light is on. It's on. It's been on. It's the been oil on. needs to be changed. The filter and the about car. about to seize. Listen, there's some mold growing in the trunk, but I love this car. And that's okay. You can love this car, but you may want to clean the car. Oh, yeah. Change the oil out. See what's wrong with the engine. <laughs> Here's the thing that's expensive. Mm-hmm. That's expensive. That's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. I often think about the future of America, too. Like, imagine how prosperous we could be as a nation mm-hmm. if we were all truly united. Like, if we had better access to education and health care and we, you know, had more Americans entering college like other nations have. What that would change for us, because America has been revolutionary in many ways. You know, like, I think about music. Sure. And the way that has shaped the planet that's yeah. coming straight out of Americans mm-hmm. um, or even black Americans. I think Absolutely. about the food that we have yes. here. But imagine how much more progress we can have if we had more Americans going to college. Right. There was more overall access. Yeah. How much better it would be to see more people like me in STEM. And if people like me would have more access, how much yes. better... You know, because again, I'm, I'm going to be corporate America. <laughs> How much better corporate America would be to have more than just one voice speaking? Mm-hmm. That'd be refreshing and more ideas. Yeah. And there there's some I think it was a poet who said, you know, imagine how good food would taste if you knew that nobody was hungry. Mm. You know, there's a sense that when that people there is a fear of loss and a sense of of scarcity. And, you know, th- times are also economically difficult for people right now. No question about that, it. Yeah. But we can, like, the idea is not that, like, let's have more people in poverty. It's like, let's have more people doing well, being healed, healthy, having all their needs met. And that truly is better for everybody. That's a place that we all want to live. But then some folks will fail. They lose their prestige. Mm. You know, if everyone can afford to eat and have a backyard and access to health care, does that make that other person less than? Where there's less than one seat at the table. Mm. That's the problem. A lot yeah. of folks see tables as being limited. Mm. There's this limited number of seats and I have to fight somebody else and push somebody down the ladder to get in my seat. Instead of thinking, you know, we could all be at this table. We can we build could. the table together. Yeah, we could. And we all can bring things to this table that we need. That shift in thinking. I also think about, you know, we talk about the American dream, you know, the picket fence, you know, the dog named Cooper, the dog named Cooper. Cooper. The, oh, my God. I have known golden retrievers named Cooper. <laughs> I'm screaming. <laughs> you know, a lot of American people. That, listen, right. you know, the that, idea that of one. moving up out of poverty and that yes. good stuff. I also think about Americans, like how vast America is, like we're vast. a small country. We're an extremely large country. I think about the folks that grow our food every day. Oh, yeah. Like that feed Americans. I think about truck drivers that bring that food to the grocery store. Like that is American, right? I think about trash collectors yep. keeping our cities clean. I think about teachers teaching and mentoring and loving our youth. 
empowering our children. You know, I think about so many different aspects of what we do every day showing up to work that really contribute to the lives we live. Like that should be a part of the American dream. You know, being a kindergarten teacher, being a trash collector, being a farmer on a farm, like those jobs are essential. Mm -hmm. You know, being a nurse, you know, working pediatrics, that's, those are essential things that we don't think about necessarily every day, where our food come from, all these different things. That's interesting because my mom is a teacher and my grandmother, my aunt, I have a lot of family full of teachers and it's true. They're fundamentally shaping the young minds of America and they're not getting paid enough. But anyways, yeah, I never, I never thought of that, that they are truly living the American dream. They're Mm well-educated and they're able to teach our kids. Yeah. They're really at the ground level. Yeah, we we tell our children become doctors, lawyers, judges, you know, these really high profile, big name jobs. Yep. Who's going to clean the streets? Listen, let's be honest. Listen. We need people to pick up trash. We need people growing food or we're going to starve. Like we, we need these kids different how to things. read and write. Yes. Children need to learn how to spell their name. These are things we these are needs that Americans have mm-hmm. that need to be met. And those jobs are honorable jobs. Shout out to teachers, trash collectors, yes. bus drivers, bus drivers. Yes. And also kids need to see themselves represented in their teachers mm-hmm. from an early age. I think that is one of the things that we see at the college level that, you know, like black students, they're like, well, I've never had a black teacher. I've in only my had life. one black teacher, Miss Foy, fourth grade. I have yet to see another and minority all like in all my grades. Yeah. 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 And that, I mean, that makes a big difference in terms of your sense of belonging, um, what you see as possible for yourself. And I mean, in, in college, that's also a problem that we have underrepresented that we, that our faculty is predominantly white. It does not represent our student body. I also think about, especially K through 12, Teachers being able to afford to live where they teach. Yep. You know, something about living in the community which you serve, like public servants, I think in my mind, should live in the city in which they serve. Absolutely. That's a different body in there when you live somewhere. Yep. You know, the children can see you at the grocery store and bump into you. Although I have to say that there's also something to be said for not running into your students like at Walgreens because no, I, I do. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> That's not fun. Sometimes you want some space. But yeah, like, that's a problem. Like we need to face these issues as, as a country. Like why can't teachers afford to live and the, where they teach? Yes. We, I mean, if we have not seen that in, in the pandemic, then I don't know what we've seen, but certainly that teachers are under underpaid and undervalued. Like what a service they provide. No question. This surprise, you know, we also, we never know necessarily where these conversations are going to go. And, and this one is a surprise point. Shout out to teachers. Oh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> kind of just ended up here. Yep. Okay, well, let me just take that as a cue then for our final segment of guests here. And we're going to hear from some, well, I won't even say. This is our last our last three folks. We're going to hear from them to bring us to the close of this episode. All right, here we go. Hi, my name is Dawn. And when I think of what it means to be American, I think freedom. As an American, I recognize that freedom isn't free, but when I think about all the opportunities I have here in America compared to so many other countries, the very first thing that comes to mind is the word freedom, and I think that's what I am most grateful for. Hi, I'm Dave Petroski, uh, and uh, this is a really hard question for me to answer, mainly because I kind of feel like being an American is a contradiction, that we have a lot of privileges that come with being in, you know, sort of a free space. We have a lot of freedoms that we take for granted a lot of the time. And uh, at the same time, I think that we're, uh, to be an American is also to be fearful because we're always fearful that some of our freedoms are going to be taken away. And we kind of, we miss the, uh, the opportunities that we have to actually express ourselves and all that kind of stuff. And we don't really notice it until it's difficult for us to find, or, or we find ourselves not able to express ourselves. 
So like COVID has basically done that for everybody where we just don't get a chance to meet with each other and talk and all those kinds of things. And it's making us sort of fearful that we're losing that. Hi, I'm Cindy Cardozo. And in speaking about what America means to me and what it means to be an American, I want to say that I believe that the United States is an idealism. It is a promise for a better world. And historically, it has not always lived up to its promises, especially for marginalized communities. However, as an American, I feel that it is my duty and my work to strive and help live up to the promises that America is. I have lived long enough to have seen protests and race riots and all kinds of things going on, you know, in my lifetime and have also seen the improvements that have happened throughout the United States history going back to the 60s and and the 70s. And we also are a country where we take two steps forward and maybe two steps back and maybe more steps back. We're always striving to achieve, you know, a better society. And I think that as a parent and as a, a grandparent, my job is to continue that struggle to always improve the lives of my children and hopefully my grandchild so that, you know, they'll be better off for the future. That was so beautiful. Cindy's response. That is so poetic. I really like that one. Yeah. That feels the most hopeful for me. That's why I put it last. That was my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It feels the most hopeful and the most like, uh, yeah. It reminds me of my grandparents and too. the conversations I, I always have with them. Um, like I said it, earlier, for me to be an American is a luxury to go after what I want, to say no, to say, you know, I'm tired of working so hard. I, I want to do something a little bit different and, and still be able to make money. And just hearing her say that reminded me of, of why my family came here. Mm. I'm so grateful to be here because I am the American dream. Mm. I am it. <laughs> just hearing that, I, I just getting a little emotional just hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that piece of like, I I just so appreciate that bird's eye view of looking, you know, like having lived through a lot and seen a lot and also, you know, still feeling that fundamental sense of hope and possibility with, which is not to say that it's like this, like hope and possibility and ignoring the struggle it's like absolutely it's within from within the struggle and seeing that as a as a duty and a responsibility to create a better world for generations to come yes i love the way she described promise that you know america is a promise we have a Mm -hmm. it may not be fulfilled but this is this idea of this promise and every generation working to get closer and closer to that promise I think about like my great grandparents, you know, Mm. which would have been sharecroppers and at some point decided to leave and move to Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they would have access for their children, education, employment opportunities and escaping, you know, racial violence. Yeah. I think about, you know, my grandparents who most of them couldn't finish high school because they had to work a factory job. You know, Connecticut's huge for factory jobs Mm. at a young age to support their family unit. So they didn't have the opportunity to finish high school. I think about my parents who pushed that a little further, right, and making me go to high school and finish high school and, you know, having the privilege of going to college. I really look at going to college as a huge privilege, um, especially because I didn't know many folks in my community that accomplish that or even try to go to college. So I think about how every generation leaves a little bit more for the next generation to hold on to and run with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see that in my family as well. So my grandmother came from Puerto Rico and my grandfather from Venezuela and my grandfather, they met, they they got married. My grandfather uh, is still an engineer for Penny Bowes we working at the company for over 40 years. Wow. <laughs> and he is one of the top engineers at that company. And he got his bachelor's degree. So what did his kids do? They all got master's degrees. 
So now... So you got to get a PhD. Pretty much. (laughs) But moving closer and closer to the American dream. And and like I said, I, I am the American dream because I was able to go to college and now... I'm able to progress even more and I'm curious to see how it's going to look like for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the the takeaways f- from talking with all of these folks for me this week has been that it's having intergenerational dialogue and r- meaningful relationships is so important. And because what I, what I heard from a lot of young people, especially young black and Latino people their primary experience of what it means to be American is to struggle and to experience hardship and often with a sense of despair, of course. And for anybody, just as a society in general, I don't think we do that in the U S very well at all. I think we very much like, you know, youth is the ideal and, and, you know, we treat older folks as disposable. That is something that is American that we can seriously work on. But that sense of a bigger picture of meaning making of legacy, I think is, is so important for folks who are especially feeling lost and they're only feeling the struggle, but they're not sensing any possibility. They're not sensing a connection to the past or to other people around them. Yeah. You know, in my community, I feel like we look to our elders often Mm. We take care of our elders. We honor our elders. And I always felt like that was such a important thing to do, to never allow that wisdom to leave. You know, especially having younger children around older folks, I always find to be a joy. Yep. But I think about, you know, my idea of being American, my pursuit, my dream. If I come up with an American dream, what's my dream, Joe? If I have to reimagine. Uh, <laughs> I think about being in community with others. Yeah. It has always brought me joy being in community with good people, good conversation, you know, people that you can rely on. You can, you know, give a cup of sugar to your neighbor and you can have a conversation on the porch in the morning. Mm-hmm. I think about, you know, activism and, you know, advocating not just for your own needs, but for the needs of those around you. Like I truly think about that, like making sure your neighbor is okay, making right. sure the elderly woman up the street like is having a good time and she's okay after her husband passes, like looking out for other people, even if they're coming from a different walk of life of you. This idea of we're always pursuing some form of freedom, the next phase of freedom, more freedom, and being in peace internally. I feel like it would be really hard to be at peace, like not speaking about like physical violence, but like just peace in our society, Um, being at peace with each other and being at peace with yourself. is really important. Yeah. Yeah. How I'm reimagining this right now. I think my biggest takeaway from everything that I've heard is, and this is for myself, how can I implement supporting more of the people in my community. I think my family has given me and my community has given me a lot, but how can I take more with me? Mm. That's what I really appreciate about that last one is we take one step forward, two steps back. Okay, we're taking a step back. How can I take one more step forward? How will that look like? Right. And what is the role, you know, we're sitting in the, on a college campus right now, what is that? What is the role of, of universities in, and, and also, you know, yeah, but what is the role of universities in, in creating that sense of looking out for one another and lifting our community members and for our, our universities to be themselves good community members and not just like a little, an island of privilege surrounded by poverty, which is the case for a lot of universities in the U.S. Um, but how can we be good neighbors you know, we're here in New Haven, but universities around the country, like how can we take care of people who are in our communities who work here, but also, you know, those who just live where we do. One thing I think about on a regular basis is the fact that I come from Bridgeport. You know, I have a strong hometown pride. And now that I've been to college and had the privilege to sit in these spaces, how are we showing up to home? even if I don't live in the city anymore, 
How are we going back? How are we speaking to our youth? I think about our youth often. Like who are the mentors? Who are talking to them? Who are showing them what they can be? I think a lot of us, especially, you know, folks that don't come from lovely or really profitable, wealthy backgrounds, you know, you get out that space, you come to college, you make something of yourself and you go pursue this American dream without thinking about how are you improving your hometown? How are you going back and how are you talking with the youth? How are you solving some of the issues that you grew up with in your hometown? Being a part of that solution, community aid, how are you, New Haven, for instance, Mm -hmm. There's so many universities in New Haven. There should be beacons of information and knowledge for New Haven residents. Like with all these universities, there should be a hungry child in New Haven. Correct. With all the wealth sitting in New Haven. And you could say the same thing for the United States. Yeah. Yeah. But especially Connecticut. Sure. Like you, like the wealth difference, Mm -hmm. like how poverty shows up versus wealth. We have some of the most expensive homes in the nation. We do. Down the road from the poorest. Like, it's really crazy living in Connecticut. So many different polar opposite experiences. Yes. I do think that one of the richest counties in the U.S. is... Fairfield County? I think so. Is that Greenwich? Yeah. Yeah, Fairfield County. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the disparities are... I remember when I first came to Connecticut, the, the stereotype about Connecticut is that it's real waspy and, like... Bougie. Well, certain parts, yeah. Certain, certain parts, parts, yeah. Not Waterbury. Not where no. I'm from. And also not New Haven. But no. Greenwich? Darien. Mm. New Canaan? Right. It's gorgeous in New Canaan, too. It's absolutely it's gorgeous. But the differences. The differences are truly unbelievable. Yeah. And, and I, so, okay, so this question, this has been such a good conversation with both of you. Jamila, as always, Nat Michelle. So glad to have you with us. And this is clearly a question we can't wear out. No. No, I have so much more to say. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I feel the same yeah, final way. Thoughts, final I thoughts. I can def do an entire podcast. Like, that's, this is a theme. I also, think... hearing different people's voices has kind of changed my response a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say it, 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 it changed me, too, because I didn't prompt anyone besides asking them the question. And, you know, there's, we heard a lot of similar themes, right? We heard people talk about freedom. We heard people talk about protest and privilege, the immigrant experience. And yet everyone had a a unique actual voice and a unique thing to say. And it made me just want to talk to more folks. Honestly, and there's so many more perspectives, you know, people that are American, but their home nation is at war with us. Like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Right. right. People that have fought for the military. What are their thoughts on patriotism? How do they view being American? You know, those that come home and are unsupported. How do they feel about being American versus those that do feel supported after the war? Right. Like there's so many different Americans living abroad. Sure. You know, living in other countries 10 sure. plus years. Walking slowly in Bermuda. Tough. You know, how do they think about themselves as being American in a foreign nation? Yeah. Like, there's so many more perspectives we can unpack about this. So let us know if y'all want us to unpack some more of this. Absolutely. Hi, Rochelle. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. This was so awesome. All right. Well, to be continued. Yes.